how's your heart this morning? How's your heart? So as you ponder that question for just a few moments, I want to set up a couple of thoughts for this morning as well as for the series. As many of you know, I am a pretty structured person. I like certain things in certain ways. Some people might think I have a tinge of the OCD. I like to think of it as living with order and design, just like my creator, amen? So within the structure of my life, I've got goals, and I've got a lot of them. I have goals set up as lifetime goals, kind of like your bucket list type of a thing. And it flows from lifetime into 10-year goals and three-year goals and this year's goals and quarterly goals and monthly goals and weekly goals. I got a lot of goals. And I try to make sure that these goals correspond with my roles and responsibilities as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, and also as a pastor. And I want to make sure all of that is situated in the right way when it comes to my calendar. So to effectively stay on track, I have lists and I've got projects, I've got repeating to-dos, and I've got stand-alone tasks. My walls are adorned with 12 acrylic dry erase boards that are absolutely filled to capacity with random ministry thoughts and different ideas as far as the future and specific prayers. I am constantly in the process of dumping ideas out of my head in a safe place to park them until future action. So I say all of that because here's some things I've found about my own mental health. That is, life is busy and my memory is bad. That's a part of the reason I got so many systems in my life. I'm just trying to keep it between the ditches. So another thing I've noticed along the way is good systems will provide clarity for time management as well as resource allocation. I want to make sure that in the right moments of life, as I sense God's leading in my life, I am able to respond to the promptings of the Spirit of God. And then the final part that I've noticed is important moments or important milestones rarely happen without intentionality. So I want to mentally be in the right place. A lot of what I do with my systems is for my mental health. It's to make sure that I just don't go crazy all by myself. Amen? Okay. So within that intentionality, it also spreads over into my physical health. So each week, because of all of those systems that I've just mentioned, I am prompted every week in order to take my blood pressure and to check my blood sugars and to weigh in and to record exercise, record water intake. If there's something that you can record, there's a really good chance I'm recording it in my life. I don't know why other than just because I want to. I mean, I, nobody's ever asked me for this information. It just makes me feel happy. So I use this app that also corresponds with my watch and it allows me to be able to sync these things together. And I am constantly amazed at all the new things for your health that now show up on this app. So for example, last week I found out that same app will check for irregular heart rhythms. I'm like, I don't even know if I have them, but I feel like I need to check anyway. Also, it'll check for AFib concerns and alert you if there's something going on. I, it's, listen, it's monitoring my heart when I'm not even consciously thinking about it. That's going to come back to you in just a moment. Okay, why is something like that good? It's good to know there's an issue before it becomes a major problem. 
How many times have you either heard a doctor tell you, or maybe somebody that you know or somebody that you love, they'll say something like this. The bad news is we have seen a problem in your test, but the good news is we caught it early. The good news is it's not spread. It's still small. The prognosis is good. Like, you hear this all the time in the medical community. Early detection saves lives. Early detection saves lives. Early detection is not only on a physical side of things. Early detection helps us in so many other parts of life. It's good to know there's a problem, to know it early while you can still adjust and while you can still see things change. I I want to live that way in my physical life, in my spiritual life, my family life, my work life, across the board. That's how I want to live. I want to live being proactive and intentional. Now let's go back to that original question. How's your heart this morning? How's your heart? It's great to know that there's an app that can monitor your physical heart when you're not consciously thinking about it. But are you monitoring your heart spiritually? Do you know what's happening in your heart right now? In the busyness of life, and by the way, we're all busy and things don't seem to be getting any slower. In the busyness of life, Do you have systems in place that help you monitor what's going on on the inside? When you're spending time with God devotionally and you're exercising the disciplines of the faith and you're in prayer and you're in the word and you're in community with other believers in silence and in solitude, do you notice how those things lead towards heart health? Can you see how your time and the disciplines of the faith help you understand what's going on within your heart? How's your heart spiritually this morning so if you're not sure or if you know it's a hot mess or if you know you don't have any systems in place or if you can feel like sometimes you're at seasons in life you can feel a tug that is pulling you down day by day if that's where you might be here's what I want to try my best to do through this series I want to help people build systems so that they understand the state of their heart. I want you to see how the spiritual disciplines lead us back to understanding what's happening on the inside. I want to help people who feel like they're about to fall apart spiritually recognize not only is there hope, but there is help. And it's also found in the same place we keep coming back to. It's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am looking forward to what we're about to get into, talking about issues of the heart. So I want people to also know key truths like this throughout the series. Your life becomes a portrait of your heart. Changing the portrait requires changing the heart. Why is it so important that people understand that? Because most of us have parts of our life that we want to change. And when those thoughts come up, oftentimes the first thing we tend to do is to focus on changing our circumstances or making better decisions or working towards better actions. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of that. The issue is those things often flow out of the heart. The heart is the source that is behind it. So if we don't change the source, it's definitely not going to change the symptoms. So today, I want us to look into a text not only for this morning, but for this series, to check on our heart. The the text is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Feel free to turn there in your Bibles, Proverbs 4, 23. 
I'm just going to read it right up front. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. I love the way the New Living Translation has that particular verse. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We're going to unpack that particular statement today. We're going to see what it looks like to guard our heart, to protect our heart, and to do that with all diligence. My prayer is through this series, we're going to be able to see clearly that when the heart is unhealthy, it threatens everything else. Family, friends, career, character, future, everything is threatened when the heart is not right. Let's have a word of prayer. We're going to get into this section today. We're talking about guarding your heart. So let's have a word of prayer, and we're going to dig right in. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would allow our ears to be open. So many times in the word you say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God, give us ears to hear this morning. May your spirit guide us in all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So scripture is very clear that God is concerned about the condition of our heart. We find the idea of maybe heart care, if that's a, a phrase, heart care. We find that both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. The word heart is actually found in your Bible 862 times. It's often found 50% of those times in the wisdom literature as well as in the prophets. Uh, as a point of reference, the word heart it appears more than the words holy, blessed, or sacrifice. So within this particular context, over in Proverbs chapter 4, you'll notice that verse 23 is a part of a father's advice to his son in order to stay on the path of wisdom. And you'll notice the surrounding verses are, are filled with metaphoric language about different body parts and how those different body parts, when you understand it spiritually, helps a person stay on the path of wisdom. So, for example, readers are instructed to keep their eyes on right teaching. That's found in verse 21 and verse 25. Our feet are to stay on the right path, verses 26 and 27. Our mouth and our lips are to reject using twisted words, found in verse number 24. And above all else, it tells us our heart must be guarded by sound doctrine. That's found in verse 21 as well as in verse 23. And from what the text is telling us, what this father is telling his son, is if you do that, if you allow those things to be a regular part of how you live your life, it says the whole body is going to be healthy, verse number 22. Now, the Hebrew translation of the word guard, it means keep, guard, protect, observe, preserve, maintain, or obey. The Hebrew word for diligence, it means guard, office, prison, ward, or watch. So what's happening here is the imagery is that of a guard who is at his post keeping watch. When the text tells us, guard your heart with all diligence. What it's saying is just as a guard is going to be at his post and he is vigilant and he is focused and he is alert and he is guarding something, that's the same state that we're supposed to be in. 
Now, when those two words come together, those two Hebrew words, it actually means, get this phrase, just write it off to the side, to keep above all keepings. To keep above all keepings. That's what that phrase means when those two words are together. So if you're saying, now, what does that actually mean? I want you to think about anything that you want to guard or to protect in your life. If you want to guard your marriage, if you want to guard your family, if you want to protect your children and your grandchildren, if maybe you want to guard and protect your house or your possessions or your bank accounts or your passwords or your character or your career, whatever it might be, list everything you're wanting to guard, anything that you want to protect, and here's what that text is saying. Above all of that, guard your heart. You are to keep it, guard it, protect it above all other keepings that are in your life. That's what the text is telling us. So what is meant by the word heart? The Hebrew word for heart, it's used figuratively of the mind, the will, the intellect. It's the seat of emotions as well as feelings. It is the center of a person's reasoning and thought. Our ability to be able to rightly think through circumstances and understand things deeply and to respond to the path of wisdom as directed by God, all of that flows out of the heart. Uh, The heart, it incorporates the, the whole of the person, the personality of the individual. Now, there's several truths that help us understand the importance of why we are to protect our heart. The first of those is, Your heart has value. Did you know you don't protect something that has no value? I'll give you an example. I take my garbage to the curb every Friday. Friday is garbage day in our neighborhood. My only thing that I'm worried about on Friday is making sure to remember to take my garbage out to the curb. Once it's out there, guess what? I'm not guarding it. I'm not protecting it. I'm not peeping through the blinds of the windows to make sure nobody's rummaging through the garbage on the side of the road. I'm not a bit concerned about the garbage. Why? It's worthless. Your heart is not worthless. Your heart has value. The very fact that it's saying that you are to keep it above all keepings, it lets us see that there is value here. Uh, The second is your heart is under attack. We are constantly in a spiritual war. We live in a combat zone with an enemy who desires to steal and to kill and to destroy. The casualties within this war are measured in human souls and forfeited futures and destroyed families, lost potential, and tragic legacies. So when it talks about guarding your heart, remember our heart, our our person, who we are. We are constantly in a spiritual battle. There is a war that is being waged around us. But there's also another one. That is your heart is the wellspring of life. The second half of verse number 23, it says, For from it or out of it flow springs of life. Another translation is the wellspring of life. Another translation says it determines the course of your life. Solomon compares the heart to a fountain. And here's what he's basically saying. Just as your physical heart will pump blood throughout your entire body, all the way out to the extremities, so your heart impacts everything in your life all the way out to the extremities. 
Your, your heart is to be protected. It's the wellspring of life. Your heart is the source from which all of your words, all of your actions, and all of your thoughts are going to flow. Now, a few moments ago, I gave this statement. Your life becomes a portrait of your heart. So let's stop there for just a moment. Think of a beautiful portrait. Think of something that's framed. Think of something that's painted. Your life is going to be a portrait of what's in the heart. And if we understand that, here's what we need to know. Changing the portrait requires changing the heart. If what you look at for your life, you're saying, that's not the picture I want to see. That's not the future I want. If that's where you're at, it's going to require that the heart has to be changed. If the heart is the wellspring of life, if it determines the course of your life, if all of our words and our actions and our thoughts flow out from the heart, we have to be diligent to guard the heart. We have to keep it above all keepings. Now, there's two sides to the same coin. Both sides are equally important. If the heart represents the essence of the person, thought, feelings, rationale, all of those things, then everything in a person's life, both good as well as bad, is going to be flowing from the heart. So that includes the problems, unwise choices, sinful motivations, poor character, fleshly emotions, all of that is coming from the heart. But now look on the opposite side of that. It also includes the solutions. It includes the wise decisions. It includes godly motivations and Christ-like character and spirit-controlled emotions. All of that is also flowing out of the heart. So look at how beautifully Jesus pictured all of that. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Jesus said, a good person produces good things, listen to this, from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Do you see how it's all coming out of the heart? The good, the bad, the corrupt, the, the beautiful, the pure, all of it's coming out of the heart. Said differently, when the heart is pure, the life will be pure. When the heart is corrupt, the life will be corrupt. Y'all are quiet this morning. And believe it or not, for once in my life as a preacher, I'm glad about that. Here's the reason I'm glad. I want you to think deeply about what we're talking about here. It's one thing to say, oh, yes, I understand out of a pure heart comes a pure life. Out of a corrupt heart comes a corrupt life. But if we really believe that, it has to change things. It has to change, listen, how we do discipleship. Because simple outward conformity doesn't change the heart. It's got to change how we discipline and train our children. Because they might outwardly do the right thing in that moment, but if the heart's not been changed, their future's still in jeopardy. It has to change the way we look at 
rehabilitating people and restoring people who've been caught in sin and, and addictions and all sorts of other things. It has to change the way we pray for people who are in need because our prayers need to be directed towards where does the change actually happen. It's not just outward manifestation. It has to be at a heart level. So for just a moment, let, let me show you how powerful this concept is. Let's just take the analogy of disciplining and training your children. Let's just look at that one piece alone. If we're not training and disciplining our children at a heart level, their sinful and selfish desires are only being repressed until the pressure is eventually released. Listen, they might obey our words through their actions, but if their heart is still in rebellion, the battle's not been won. Our discipline and our structure might be able to keep our kids out of the ditches when they're in our home, but what happens when they're no longer in our home? What happens when they're outside of the influence of their godly parents, of their godly youth workers, of their godly mentors who are Christians in their life, what happens when they're no longer under that and the pressures are released? I'll tell you what happens. They do what's in their heart. That's why we have to be focused on what's happening in the hearts. There's a lot of people saying, well, at least they're not doing that now. The, the issue is not now. The issue is, did God change their heart? Did he change their desires? Did he change their motivations so that that thing is no longer even a desire of theirs because what's coming out of the heart is the character of Christ? When that happens, guess what? You don't have to worry about them being outside your home because it's Christ living his life through them. God has to be the one to do the work. You could take that same idea and bring it right back into discipleship at any age. If we're not addressing heart issues, a head full of knowledge only puffs somebody up with pride. It never changes their character. The same idea holds true of helping people be restored who have gone through sin and addiction and they're struggling with their past. It has to be that God's doing the work in the heart for there to be lasting and permanent change. God has to do it. So let me stop and ask you, how many times are you praying for that person and you're saying, God, if you could just get the right person around them, if you would just get them to stop this, if you would just help them come to church, did you know a person who has a heart that is still hurting and controlled by sin, they can sit in a church every single Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and they can go to youth group and they can sing in the choir and they can be a deacon in a church and they can lead a small group. But unless God changes the heart, they still got sin flowing out. So, so many times we're just okay with behavior modification. Listen, that's nothing more than morality. Some of the nicest people you will ever meet in your life are an atheist. It's not that Christ is living through them. And if we're saying that Christ makes the difference, if we're actually saying he changes a person from the inside out, we cannot be content with the fact, well, at least they're showing up for church right now. Oh, that's one step, but here's what you do. Say, God, thank you. 
please use that step and God meet them every single moment. Fill around them people who are going to challenge them in their faith. But ultimately, my trust is not in the fact they're showing up at church. My trust, we sang about it, is in Jesus, that only Jesus can change the hearts. We have to be concerned with heart health. So how does this even happen? Like if, if the heart is that messed up, how does it happen? The first step happens at salvation. Listen to this wonderful passage, Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Now the immediate context of that It speaks of the nation of Judah's sinfulness in spite of all of the blessings of God. The phrase desperately sick or desperately wicked, it speaks of something that is terminal and without a cure. It's saying the heart is terminal. There's no cure. You're not going to be able to polish it up and make it better. Now remember, original context is referring to the nation of Judah. But the nation of Judah illustrates the human condition apart from Christ. Theologians have a phrase for this. They call it total depravity. That is the idea that apart from Christ, we are sinful and we are depraved and we are spiritually dead. There is nothing we can do to help ourselves. We are terminal. It's beyond help. Somebody might say, Paul, this message seems to be going in the wrong direction. I thought you were encouraging us on this. Listen, you got to know how bad the bad news was before you see how good the good news is. Okay, so from Old Testament, Jeremiah says there's nothing that you can do. It's terminal. The heart is it's beyond remedy, beyond cure. So if morality doesn't change the heart and religion doesn't change the heart and discipline won't change the heart, What's our next step? I don't know if I told you about Jesus today, but it's Jesus. And and listen, even back then, you've got Jeremiah giving the passage and Ezekiel coming behind and saying, let me tell you about the heart transplant that's going to happen. Here's what Ezekiel says in chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Oh, listen, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. That's good gospel news. That's the best news any of us are ever going to hear. How does it happen? It happens because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When does that happen? When does the heart transplant take place? It happens at the moment of salvation. Now, you all know I love to share the gospel. And if you don't know the gospel, you're in for a treat because here it is again. Here it is. The gospel is the good news that humanity was created for relationship with God. Our sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin separated us from that relationship. That's back to what Jeremiah is talking about over here. the, The heart, it's deceitful, it's corrupt, it's beyond remedy. There's nothing that you and I could do to make things right. Morality, not enough. Religion, not enough. Being a Baptist, definitely not enough. (laughs) Nothing that we could do to make it right. Jesus did what we could never do. He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross. 
That is, he died as our substitute. He did not die for his sin. He was sinless. He died for our sin. Died a substitutionary death on the cross. But listen, he rose again physically from the grave three days later that we might have life. And he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of how we can step into our created purpose. We were made to know him. Sin got in the way of that. We couldn't do anything. Jesus did it all. And the the person who repents by placing faith in Christ, he gives us the chance to live out why we were put here to begin with. That's good news. Now, why is that so important? Because the life we want, the portrait of our life that we want is the portrait that flows out of our original design. It has to be flowing out of being rightly related to our creator. When we repent of our sin by placing faith in Christ, listen, Jesus moved us from death to life, from lost to found. He moved us from sinners to saints. We're saved. The Spirit of God indwells us, changes us, just like Ezekiel said it was going to happen. When we're born again, according to John chapter 3, verse 3, we also become a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. God did not polish up the old. He made us completely new. I'm going to tell you, that's some good news. That's good. All right, so as believers... As believers, you've got a new heart. But did you know if you still follow in the same paths, your heart's going to be under attack constantly. There's constant pulls. There's constant pressures. But for those who are now in Christ, by the way, tonight we're starting an entire series from Ephesians in Christ. You don't want to miss it. That's a commercial for tonight. Come back tonight. Myself and Bria will be here. I think Seth's going to be here. We're going to sing some wonderful music, and we're going to be in the Word. It's going to be a good night. In Christ truth. Listen, when a person is now in Christ, they have divine enablement from God to have a guarded and a protected heart. So listen to the way that now the Apostle Paul has us roll up into Philippians 4-7. He tells Christians, guard your hearts and minds Where? In Christ Jesus. That's where our guarding now comes from. Our ability to be guarded is based on Christ's work to save. It comes back to the gospel. Because of what Christ has done for us, we can have guarded hearts. Now somebody might say, how do I even know what's in my heart right now? Jesus tells us how you can know. Luke chapter 6 verse 45. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How do you know what's in your heart? Think about what you're talking about. What are those things that you cannot wait to share with family and friends? What are the things that naturally just come up in conversation? Those are the things that are in the heart. How can we intentionally guard our hearts? These are going to be very quick. That is, be careful of what we let in through our eyes, ears, and unguarded thoughts. All of the surrounding verses in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27, all of those verses 
Talk about the importance of what we are letting in through our eyes and our ears and with unguarded thoughts. You are going to think about something. You're going to think about the things you focus on and what you let in. And those things that you let in will absolutely impact your heart. Here's the next one. Live in a state of submission to God's will. The story of Pharaoh, if you've not gone back and read that recently out of Exodus chapter 7, 8, and 9, it shows what happens when somebody is hardening their heart to God's desires. In fact, King David over in Psalm 95, he pleaded with the people not to harden their hearts in rebellion against God. There are certain things that we don't like the authority of God in. There's certain things, when it hits too close to home, we resist those things. You will notice that those who resist the promptings and the movement of God, there's a hardness that comes up. But you'll also see the opposite of that. When somebody stays submitted and humble before God, there's a tenderness about their heart. There's a softness that comes with their character. They are walking in obedience with Christ. Here's the next one. Walk in obedience to God's word. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we reject God's word, when we're walking in disobedience, it is a sign that something is wrong in the heart. You might want to ask God. This is just between you and God. You might want to ask God, are there areas where I am walking in disobedience to your word? Let the Spirit of God move you and prompt you. When he brings those up, that is an opportunity to deal with a heart issue and to further protect your heart in the future. The next one, ask God to show you what it looks like to love him completely. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. It is impossible to love God completely and still have a hard heart towards him. The next one, submit all relational wounds to God. If you've not been in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, camp out there for a while. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When our heart is wounded by others, you'll often tell it first in your emotions and second in your reactions. You know the wound has come when you're no longer in the moment and mentally you were thinking through exactly what you would say if you're standing in front of them. You know that wound is deep when you go to bed thinking about it and you wake up thinking about it. You know that wound is there if you see that person down at the Walmart and you jump behind the next rack so that you don't have to see them. Okay, there's things we deal with, but here's the issue. Those things do not go away when they're left untouched. When something is left in a state of festering, it only stinks worse over time. Whenever God reminds you of those Bring it before him so that he can address it in the heart. Here's another one. Submit areas of unbelief to God. 
Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Ask God, are there areas right now that unbelief is sneaking in? And here's the last one. Pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So based on that list, there should be trigger words. There should be key words that the moment you begin to see it or thoughts that come into your life, it should be a warning that your heart is not as protected. It's not as guarded as what it should be. If there's an unfiltered mind, if you recognize that anything is coming and going and allowed to sit, that's a problem. It should let you know your heart is not being protected as it should if there's rebellion against God's authority, if there's disobedience to God's word, if God prompts you of lack of love for him, if there's fleshly emotions that have not been brought under the control of the Holy Spirit, if there's unbelief, if there's prayerlessness, those things should be warning signs in our life that something's wrong at a heart level. Your life becomes a portrait of your heart. Changing the portrait requires changing the heart. Proverbs says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We're either guarding our heart or we are leaving ourselves open and vulnerable for the enemy's attack. So in the weeks to come, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do heart surgery in the next probably eight weeks. We're going to address some of the hardest, I guess, relational wounds heart wounds, things that people are walking through that sometimes you know others go through it, you just don't know, how do I address it? We're going to be talking about things like brokenness, jealousy, bitterness, grief, purity, contentment, being overwhelmed or anxious, and covetousness. We're going to talk about some of the things that don't make their way up into a lot of messages but it can absolutely rob you of God's best for your future if it's not addressed. If you're looking for some additional resources between now and that time, I want to encourage you, check out a resource we've made available recently called ChristLifeResources.com. If you need to simply scan that QR code, it'll take you directly to the site. Here's why that's so important. That entire site is dedicated to helping people find simple truths for the abundant life. It's addressing things that we all walk through, but sometimes you don't know where to go. And here's the reason something like that's so powerful. If you go on and you find that you're dealing with issues of grief, and there's a section to help you with grief, or you find that you're dealing with issues of jealousy, and there's a section that deals with jealousy, or dealing with issues of contentment, and there's a section on there about contentment. Here's what I've found in my life. I much prefer when God corrects me in private than when he has to expose me in public. That could be one of the happiest resources you ever find. So as we walk our way through this, just say, God, what are the issues of my heart that need to be addressed? I'm going to ask you if you would to bow with me for just a moment. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed.
everything that we've been talking about today and what we talk about so much within this church comes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've gone through it and given that gospel again today so that people clearly know what the good news is all about. But we recognize that the heart has to be changed. Unless God changes that at the moment of salvation, then we're battling windmills our whole life. We're, we're fighting upstream. We need to be in a place where the heart has been changed. We, we have a new heart, but at the same time, we have enablement that is there by the Spirit of God indwelling us in order to show us what is wrong and help us walk in the truths of what is right. So it might be today that somebody says, I've never had that moment when I've entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Some people might be in the room, this might be your first time in this church, it might be your first time in church, period. And you're showing up today because you've got stuff in your life that you're like, I'm looking for hope. If that describes you today, there's gonna be pastors and some of our pastor's wives at the end of the aisles. Come talk to one of them and just simply say, I need help with this. They, they are skilled and loving and gracious and being able to walk people through difficult moments of life. There might be people in the room right now that you've been a Christian a long time, but man, your heart has been wounded over and over and over and over and you can feel a callousness coming in and you can feel unbelief settling in and you can feel this withdrawal from the things of God. And, and it's almost like you're holding on right now just saying, God, I hope to make it through. My prayer for you is that you say, God, do whatever work in my heart needs to be done. Trust God that he is so gracious and he's so merciful. He's so tender in how he addresses those things that he knows exactly what you need and he knows how to heal a hurting and a broken heart. There might be people in here today that they just need prayer. They need somebody to pray with them. I, I don't know where you might be, but I'm going to give a word of prayer. We're going to stand as a congregation. We're going to sing, and our altar is going to be open. I'm just going to encourage you, respond as the Spirit of God prompts you. Heavenly Father, we need you. We need you to change hearts, and we need you to help guard these hearts. God, we need you to bring healing where there's been wounds. We need you to give clarity where the enemy is distracting us. God, we don't want there to be anything between our hearts and you. So, Lord, our hearts are in your hands. Would you lovingly and tenderly and graciously do a spiritual surgery in us that we will only be able to say, Jesus is enough. He's everything I need. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?